Good morning, everyone. Ah, I'm on. That's good. Right. Let me just... I need to sort myself out. Sorry, I'm a bit left-handed, so I tend to go that way around. That's all right. I get in, stuck in a habit that I have to have it round the way that I'm used to, otherwise I get lost. Right, good morning and welcome. As, if you don't know me, my name's Neil. I'm privileged to be one of the elders here. And we are gonna, we're coming back to our Ephesians sermon series that we were looking at before the Christmas break and before the New Year. Um, Ephesians is a brilliant, fantastic book. Um, and it just, it just so much reminds us about how our lives have been transformed because of what Jesus has done for us. And we've covered loads of stuff, and I'm, I'm not going to go over it all this morning. We, we, look, we started with how God chose us to be saved before the world was even made. Quite an awesome truth. We look at grace about what Jesus did for us on the cross, that we're saved not by what we've done, but completely by what Jesus has done for us. And we access that through faith. We've been reminded of the gospel, of the importance of the gospel, of the power of the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done for us, and how, because of that good news, our lives are transformed, that we were once like this, and now it's so much more incredible what God has done for us and what, how we're able to live because of what Jesus has done for us and loads of, of other important, incredible truth. Today, we're going to be looking, we're going to start by looking at three important relationships and the way that Jesus has enabled us to live these relationships better and differently than it would be without Jesus being involved in our lives. The first one, which I'm going to be looking at today, is between husbands and wives, the marriage relationship. Then next week, Russell's going to be looking at parents and children. And then Pete's going to be looking at work and the relationship between employers or employees or masters and slaves. Maybe you feel a bit more like a slave or a master, I don't know. Um, whichever one you prefer. And then we're going to be finishing, I'm going to be coming back and looking at Paul's reminder that we're in a battle and how we can survive and thrive in that spiritual warfare that we face as followers of Jesus. Now, the three relationships we're going to be looking at and what Paul says about husbands and wives, this is probably the more controversial subject of the three. Um, Not just because our culture probably has a very different view to what we have um, from what Paul says, but also because Christians don't agree about it. And these are good Christians, by the way. I'm not knocking people who maybe don't agree with what I say. And this verse, these verses have probably had a lot of books and a lot of different opinions written about them. So it's going to be interesting this morning. Um, It also is quite harder and easier in some ways because Paul is actually looking at two different relationships at the same time. Um, He's also looking at the relationship between Jesus and the church and comparing that as a parallel and similar relationship between that of a husband and a wife. And probably a lot of the differences, a lot of the, is working out where it's the same or where it's different to the relationship with Jesus and the church between a husband and a wife. Now, I'm not going to go into all of the different arguments we could spend a long time looking at that. My remit this morning is to look at the passage and what it says and how that applies to us. 
But what I will do is just by saying what I think and what the church's position is, which is basically what we call the complementarian position. This is basically, we see the relationship between a man, the husband, and a woman in a marriage, even that's a little bit controversial at the moment, um, but we see them both as equal in intrinsic value and status before God, with different, what we call complementary roles, where the husband takes the lead and is the head in the marriage, and the wife submits to her husband in that role. And we'll also apply that to leadership in the church, where we see the role of elder as being one that is only possible for men to hold in the church, but all other roles and responsibilities except church leadership, except eldership, is open to both men and women. And this is in contrast to what is called the egalitarian position. Again, men and women are viewed as equal value and morals. And, oh, no, 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 I don't like that word, moral status, sorry. In worth before God, in status. But the difference here is they're also seen as equal in the roles and responsibilities they can have and perform. And there's no difference really, either in marriage or in the church. And we at BFC hold to, this comp- to the first position I talked about, the complementarian one. I believe it's the plainest and simplest interpretation of the passage that we're going to look at this morning. Now, I appreciate not even everyone here may agree with me on that. And I respect that. And to be honest this morning, the one thing I really am not trying to do is, con- is convince someone that I'm right and you're wrong or whatever. That's not my, my idea this morning. All I really ask is that we keep an open mind as we look at the Scriptures. Because God's Word, as, Timothy, as Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3.16, is really important. It's breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. That the man of God, or the woman, may be competent and equipped for every good work. So I'm just going to pray for God to speak to us through his word this morning. Yeah, Father God, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you that we as a church are striving to live by your word and do what it says and put it into practice. And I want to pray that you would, through your Holy Spirit, speak to each of our hearts this morning. I know I've learned so much preparing this. And um, I felt like you've been shaping my views and changing my understanding. I want to pray for each one of us that it will be helpful, profitable, and it will encourage us. And I pray, Lord, that where we might feel we're struggling with some of the things it says, Lord, you might just lead us into your truth and to what is right. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're going to start by looking at the different themes that Paul starts about. And we're going to start by looking at that of wise, and we're going to begin by looking at Ephesians 5. We're going to be reading verses 22 to 24, and I'm going to be reading from the ESV version of the Bible. So Paul says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Okay, so Paul starts by comparing the submission 
of the wife to the husband with the submission of the church, that's all of us here, to Christ. And I think it's helpful to start with the question, how do we submit to Jesus first as believers? And I think there's a few things it means. The first thing is, when, when what we think or we want is different to what Jesus thinks or wants, and primarily we work that out through the Bible and what the Bible says, then we do what he wants or what he is asking us to do and we think like he thinks rather than how we think or what we want. Now this is quite an easy thing to say, isn't it? But I'm very aware that this is not easy for any of us. I include myself in that. Our sinful natures will fight against this. And we face a daily battle to live and, and be what Jesus desires, to do what he wants. But the good news is we've got a helper. We have the Holy Spirit living in us and he helps us to change and live the holy lives that Jesus called us to live. And part of doing that then is that we respect and honour Jesus' authority over us. And this relates to how we talk about him, how we think about him. It's basically that we worship him as our Lord and Saviour, not just in singing songs and when we gather together, but in the way we live our lives, in the decisions that we take and the things that we do. And this also means that no area of our lives does not come under the authority of Jesus. It's all or nothing with Jesus. You just need, just read the Gospels. It's very clear. Jesus is Lord. But in that, we still have delegated authority. He leads us to put into practice everything he commands us to do. He leads us to work out the detail, to use our common sense and our wisdom that he has given us, to apply his word into our different situations and circumstances. I thought about this as we're not robots. We are partners with Christ, but Christ is the senior partner. And the question then is, how do we work, translate this to how a wife submits to her husband? Because, guys, the husband isn't Jesus. He doesn't have Jesus' divine authority. He doesn't perfectly obey the Father like Jesus did. I'm very aware of that. We are fallen sinners. Men who've been saved and made saints by the grace of God. We're still very much a work in progress. So, these are my suggestions. That where there's disagreement, the husband makes the final choice. Which might even be what the wife thinks. And they have the responsibility before God the consequence of that choice. Now the only caveat here would be if the husband is clearly choosing something contrary to the will of God, to the will, what Jesus says, then the wife must not and cannot submit to that. But not simply because they don't like it or agree with it. And they respect their husbands. They're careful in how they voice disagreement or challenge. That also, I think, applies to the husband as well. But maybe they need to give their disagreements to their husband rather than talk to other people about it. 
And for a wife, they have to agree that all aspects of the marriage are ultimately under the husband's authority. I mean, ideally, pretty much everything is shared. And in most cases, they'll be working out what they do together. You know, if I, if I worked out my marriage on my wisdom alone, I would be a complete and utter idiot because my wife is a very wise woman. Um, very rarely have I ever overridden. Um, although occasionally, when I felt it's right and I've prayed about it and I've chatted with Sue about it, I have. And, and practically, in this, the wise will have freedom and autonomy in most things anyway. And it's really clear to me, as I've really looked at this, it's not about control or being controlled. That's unhealthy. It's the desire for the wives to encourage their husbands to take responsibility. Just as an aside, I think the biggest single problem that the 21st century world probably faces is men not taking the responsibility for anything, or pretty much not anything important. It's not unquestioning. It's really important you understand that the submission of wives to their husband is not unquestioning obedience. You know, do what they say. It doesn't even work like that with children and parents, does it? Although that is much more an obedience relationship, which Russell will be looking at next week. And it doesn't apply for women to all men. It's the respect and the willingness to come under their husband's God-given authority. And it's really clear to say here at this point, it does not mean that a wife is inferior to her husband in any way. It's very clear when, when God makes his command about um, men and women in Genesis 1, 26 to 28, he talks about male and female are both created in the image of God and they have equal value and worth and status in that. The wife will submit to the husband because God made marriages to work that way and her role is to encourage the leadership of her husband as that how, is how she can best make sure their marriage is healthy and working as God designed it to be. And the husband then has the harder role because he's got to love her as Christ loved the church. So let's read on and see what Paul says for husbands. So Paul says, Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. So again, I'm going to ask the same question. I'm going to start with Jesus. How did Christ love the church? Well, first one, the obvious one, is that he loved the church sacrificially. He gave his very life for the church. Jesus was the man who was God. He lived a perfect life of obedience. He never sinned. And he gave up his life so that we, the church, could be saved from our sin and the consequence of our sin, our rebellion and our rejection of God, our bad choices so that we, would not avoid, we could avoid the consequence of that sin, death and separation from God, and instead know God and look forward to eternal life with him. 
That's quite incredible, isn't it? And then Paul goes on and talks about Jesus sanctifying the church through his word. Because his sacrifice not only saves us, but he enables us to be changed and become holy like him. You're reminded, Jesus is still interceding for us. And nothing can separate us from his love, not even death. That's incredible, isn't it? So if Christ loved the church like this, how is the husband supposed to love their wives? Well, the first one is sacrificially. They put the needs of their wives before their own, like Jesus did for us. Now, I'm a husband, and I'm aware of how far short I often fall of the, from this. It, it seems almost impossible to be like Jesus in that, in my marriage. I can only do it with the help of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God. Can I then put my needs under the needs of Sue? You know, our default position as human beings is to put our own needs and desires first, isn't it? But once saved, we start to learn and work towards being like Jesus. And in marriage, that will mean putting our wives' needs first and their desires and seeing them as more important than ours. And then I think we need to take responsibility for the spiritual development of both of us in our marriage. Making sure, as, as, along with that, making sure that the emotional and physical needs of our wives are met. We don't sanctify our, our, lives in, our wives in the same way that Jesus does. We're not him, but our aim is the same. We prepare them and enable them to follow Jesus. And that's, a lot of that is in our behaviour and how we treat them. That we don't put barriers in their way of knowing Jesus and being like him. And there's, I, I heard some very good wisdom from a good friend of mine. Don't treat your wives like one of your mates, like one of your male friends. Yes, it's a great friendship relationship being married. And Sue is the best friend that I've got in, my, in this life, other than Jesus, obviously. But she's not like us. Our wives are not like us. And they need to be treated differently, with a lot more care and consideration than we would another bloke. And then, and this is a real challenge, we have to take the ultimate responsibility for decisions that we make together. We don't make decisions unilaterally. And particularly when we disagree, we need to work them out. We need to talk about them and all the aspects of them and the consequences of them before we make those choices. But in the end, the husband, and this is biblical, we have to answer to God for the outcomes of the choices that they make together. See, love is... When we think about the word love, we're not helped by the fact that English just has love. And obviously, I could go through all the different words that are used in the Greek. We've got friendship, love, philia. We've got romantic love, eros. And these are good and important. We need those in our marriages. But we also need the agape love. This is what Paul's talking about here. This is the selfless love that's focused on the other person. And this is especially what Paul is showing a husband to use for their wives. Let me give you a, a, a very low example. Because love is more prosaic and practical, we might think. This week, I had to drive Sue to Brighton for her eye up and then come back. 
Then I had to sit around at home, do a bit of work, and then I had to drive there and back. The weather on Tuesday was horrid. It was hard work, but that's love. As much as all those lovey-dovey things you do, which we need as well. They're important, they matter. Paul reminds us in Philippians 2, he talks about Jesus and how Jesus put the needs of other people before his own. And that's our job, to put the needs of our wives before ourselves. Okay, so that's husbands and wives. So let's finish this passage and look at what Paul actually says about marriage itself. So we're carrying on in verses 31 to 33. And then he says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So Paul is quoting here Genesis 2, 24 to 25, what God said to Adam and Eve or more to Adam, actually, about marriage. Now, this was before the fall. This was before Adam and Eve sinned. And the relationship between men and women was then cursed. There were issues that were caused by sin. Now, at this point, Adam, the man, is already the leader in the relationship. He's created first. He gets the job of naming the animals. The woman is named after him. And they're encouraged to be in intimate relationship with one another which is so close, they're considered as one person, one flesh. And this is talking about the physical act of sex and their close physical relationship, but you need to see it as an outworking of intimacy where spiritual and emotional closeness is then expressed in that relationship. We don't get intimate by having sex with one another. It's a fruit of that relationship. But what then happened is Eve's, they sinned. Eve is tempted by the serpent. She ate the fruit of the tree that God said you couldn't eat. And she gave that fruit to Adam, who then did the same thing. And it's, it's interesting here because Eve sinned first. But God put the responsibility for that sin on Adam, on the man, because he was the head. I think, in fact, his sin started because this was all going on in his presence. He took no responsibility. He didn't stop Eve, he didn't, and he repeated her sin. And maybe her sin was in part taking the role that Adam should have been taking. And um, you can begin to see where a lot of the difficulties are in marriage, where things go wrong, when we fail to take the roles that we're called to be taken by God. And the way we fix it, the way that marriage is the blessing it's supposed to be, is when we take our God-given roles and fulfill them. When the husband is the head and takes the lead, and the wife is then able to willingly submit to that lead. And we don't get there by trying to make each other do what we have to do. It doesn't work like that. We need to do the things that we are need to call to do. And um, this is hard. Because we're, not, we're humans, we're, we're a work in progress. And you know, I've been married for nearly 34 years. And sometimes I find it just as hard as I did on the first day I got married. And to live up to what God expects of me. And it's very easy to be aware of when I got it wrong. But I'm also thankful for the way that God has helped us through those 34 years. 
and he's been with us in our marriage. As he's, and in fact, I think the key to why we've been able to stay together is the fact that we have a relationship with Jesus and that we make him head. And we, you know, I don't get it right, I don't get it perfectly right, but actually it's in that that we can then pull on the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to help us to change step by step and be the husbands and wives that we're called to be. Because we get our number one Lord and Master is Jesus. So marriage, as Paul says here, is a relationship between a man and a woman who have equal value and worth and status before God and man. But they have different roles. The husband role is to lead and take responsibility for God for the direction and outworking of their marriage. And the wife's role is to honour and respect the husband in that role and follow, their, and follow his lead. Now, I'm aware that some may object to what I've just said. And there are probably a couple of, there are lots of objections, but there are probably a couple of common ones that people will raise. First of all, the world's moved on a lot since Paul wrote this letter. And they might say that this view is really out of date. And the other concern, and I think it's a justifiable concern, is that by promoting this view, we can encourage and promote the perpetuation of men abusing women. Now, the first and most understandable objection is the world's view of the role of men and women has changed a lot in 2,000 years. And the church needs to keep up with those changes to stay relevant and to reflect these good changes. And these changes in equality of men and women are good things, aren't they? It's good that men and women both have the vote. It's good they have the same opportunities in the workplace. That financially and practically, men and women have the same rights and are treated equally. This is how it should be. However, I would argue the differences Paul talks about here for the marriage role aren't in conflict with any of that anyway. And what our culture says about men and women. In fact, I would say our culture's view on the equality of men and women is a better representation of the fact that we are equally created in the image of God and have equal worth and value. The only thing I would disagree is, is that it doesn't recognise the differences in how God has made men and women and the different roles and responsibilities that God has given them in marriage. See, there are two mistakes we can make about culture. One is we can just ignore it and reject it and everything it says. The other is we let culture take the lead instead of doing what the word says if there's a difference. And I think the complementarian position is good because it doesn't do either of these things. Um, I found something quite helpful in one of the commentaries I looked at, actually. And the, the commentator asked the question, how do we respond to Paul's teaching on Christ as head of the church? Do we allow the fact that we live in a different time or a different culture to change our view that Jesus is head of the church? Because obviously our culture has a, a quite a big thing about authority and about us having authority over our own lives. No, we don't we still say that Christ is head of the church. Whatever culture we're in, whatever time we live in, 
And it's the same with the headship of the husband. It doesn't change because our culture or the time we live in has changed. And anyway, I don't think it particularly conflicts with it anyway. I think the world has moved on, mostly for the better. But the biblical truth is the husband is the head in the marriage. And I believe the Bible says that's the case. And the other objection is that the, a lot of people have is that they would say that the church promoting the headship of men promotes the abuse of women. Now, we have to say it's true. In the past, the church has promoted views and practices that may have resulted in women being treated in ways that were wrong, either through social exclusion or allowing abuse to flourish. And this was wrong. But the issue here, here, I think, is that the equal value and status of women that the Bible clearly teaches was either being ignored or minimised. And the differences in roles were not really the issue or the cause of what was going on there. In the Trinity, the Father takes the lead. Jesus submits to the Father in that role. And I think, in a way, the Holy Spirit submits to Jesus. And are any of the members of the Trinity of any less value or worth because of this? No, it's just they've got different roles and responsibilities. And by submitting to one another, they help each other to fulfill the different jobs they have to do. They're all still God, and they all still have the honour and worship that entails, whatever their role is. And I would say that having a biblical view of male headship in marriage does not cause or, or doesn't have to cause or perpetuate the abuse of women unless people take that teaching and apply it in the wrong way. It's a wrong view of the equal worth of women that is at the root of this kind of behaviour. And the church has the role of standing up to this when it happens and correcting it whenever we encounter it. So we've looked at Paul's teaching on marriage and the different roles of men and women in this important relationship. Paul compares marriage to the relationship between Christ and his church. So when we look at the role of man as head in the marriage, he sets an incredibly high bar for the men. To love their wives in the same way that Christ loved the church, to sacrificially give their life, their wife and put their needs before his in the same way that Christ sacrificed his life for the church and put our needs before his seems impossible doesn't it and for the wife to submit to their flawed and sinful husband it's not easy either is it like we are supposed to submit to Christ in his divinity and because of his perfect existence that seems just as hard to me what, now, when we're saved, the good news is it's not down to us, isn't it? It's, it's all about grace. It's down to who Jesus is and what he did for us. And for marriage, it's the same. We need God's grace to be the husbands and wives that we're called to be. And probably my best advice for husbands and wives is pray. Pray. And for all of us to pray because our marriages can only work and thrive because of the grace of God. But I'm going to try and be practical and give us two or three things that we can do 
that will help us. The first one's about marriage, and then I'm going to move on a bit and focus on about Jesus. But the first thing I think is, whether we're married or not, to agree that marriage matters, it's important. And we all have a responsibility to support and encourage our marriages. And one way we can do that, and we did that last Sunday, is pray for marriages in our church. To support men to be the loving husbands that they're called to be. To have a culture that encourages men to take responsibility and not be passive, whether they're married or not. And to help wives respect and honour their husbands, which, if the husbands are getting it right, shouldn't be so hard. And by the way, just if I haven't made it clear, a wife submits to their husband, not to any other men in the church. Women do not submit generally to men in the church other than how we all submit to one another as believers. Just to the particular man they happen to be married to. But something I do need to say, and I think it's really important, is that honouring and valuing marriage does not mean that we forget the large number of those who are not married in our churches, which is a mistake we can make. See, our equal value and worth as male or female doesn't just suddenly arrive when we get married or, you know, if we are married. That's a fact. We are male and female created in the image of God. And I thought Sam Albury was really good in his book about singleness. He talked about his granddad. His granddad had been married for 50 years, but then he lived for another 25 years as a widow as a single person. And we're going to spend lots of our lives as a single person. And our value as a man or a woman is not dependent on us being married. Just when we are married, let's make sure we do it in the right, you know, live out our marriages in the right way. And I, you know, my key point here is let us a church not view people or make people second class simply because they're not married at this point in their lives. We all have that value and worth that God has given us. But that doesn't mean we don't, as a church, value and support strong marriages where men lead and they take their responsibility with love, which allows their wives to submit and flourish as equal partners made in the image of God. But also, as we look at this passage and we look at the example of Jesus, let's rejoice in Jesus' sacrifice. Because this passage is such a strong reminder of Jesus' sacrifice for us. You know, the sinless Son of God, God himself, came to this earth as one of us. So that we could be saved from our sins. And if that doesn't lead us to worship him, I don't know what does. To show our gratitude to him for his amazing love and grace in every way we can. And then finally... We all have a call to submit to Jesus our head. It doesn't matter whether we're married or not, whether we're rich, whether we're clever, whether we're not, whether we've got it all sorted, whether our life is a mess. Jesus is our head, and he deserves our submission. And in fact, we're better off and blessed when we honour him and respect him, when we do what he wants and when what he says is what we want and what we do. And of course, it's not easy. Our sinful natures will encourage us to resist this. It's a fight to the death, to be honest. 
But Jesus deserves it. And actually, we thrive when we give him the authority and honor that he so rightly deserves. If the band could come up, that'd be great. I want to encourage us because the most important thing we can do is make Jesus the head of our lives. And that application applies to all of us, whatever status, stage, where we're at in our lives. Whether we've been a Christian for five minutes or we've been a Christian for 65 years. Jesus needs to be head of our lives, doesn't he? And actually, we can be better husbands and wives. And then we look at it later, parents and children, workers and masters, when Jesus is our head. That's when we get it right. So I'm going to pray that we do that and that God will put his word in our heart and help us to keep Jesus front and center of our lives. Yeah, Father God, I thank you that you gave us Jesus, our wonderful Savior who gave his life for us. And I want to thank you that for every single one of us here listening now, the best thing we can do is make Jesus the head, put him in charge, let him rule and line us up with God and God's perfect will. And I thank you that through the cross, you enabled us to do that. You enabled us to be saved and set free. So Father God, just help us to do that. And I do pray, particularly for those who are married. I pray for husbands. You help them to love their wives as Christ loved the church. That's so hard. And for wives to submit to their husbands who don't always get it right. Again, that is so hard. But Lord, I just pray that you give us the grace to do that. And I thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that you just help us to yeah, take your word as our, our guide. And I pray that you'll continue to speak to us about what this means. But Lord, most of all, I just pray that you'll be Lord and Savior for each one of us here. And I thank you that when we do that, we are so blessed. And we are so encouraged. And I just pray, Lord, help us now as we come to worship. Help us just to give it all to you and lean on you and worship you. Because you deserve it. You deserve it, Lord. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Amen.